Hello, Esther Deborah here, and this is Agape Love. Love is here. This is one of the many video sections of the ministry of Pastor Deborah, helping people the Lord's way. Please enjoy the video, and we look forward to you coming again. Pastor Deborah hopes you enjoy hearing about how she has learned how to help people the Lord's way, and of her many wonderful spiritual experiences throughout many, many years of helping people. Welcome again to a video of Agape Love, Love is Here Ministries. This is Pastor Deb. Love always and forever. Hello, Master Class Initiative students. This is Pastor Deborah, and we are starting our very last class, class number 12 of this Leadership Development Series. I want to welcome you again. I hope I can make other videos on other topics for you. Please excuse that little noise from my computer. It's trying to talk to me. But I'm not listening, so don't you. I have enjoyed and been honored to be a teacher for you. I hope I have just started the process of helping you to rediscover who you really are. And I want to welcome you again. And this is class number 12. As you can see on the board behind me, the title of it is, Are You a King Then? I'm going to explain that question to you as we go along. But let's get started with some words that I always like to think of. It's the honor of kings to search out a matter. And it is the glory of God to hide them. We have to be wise people. Searching out wisdom. We need to be reading, looking, and searching for truth and wisdom that will help us. Did you know that wisdom is the application of truth? It is what helps us. You can know something, but if you don't know how to apply it, when to use it, who is it for, the truth won't work for you. It has no application. Even within yourself, you can learn something. We'll use our early mathematics. One plus one equals two. That's a truth. It's a fact. But how does that apply to ourselves, to others, and to our nation? So if you do not know how to apply the truth that you learn, the facts, the things you've discovered, then you're not wise. For you can take that knowledge and you can misuse it. You can use it in righteousness that helps people or in unrighteousness. You can use it to be a wonderful leader that helps your nation to be free, to be 
a wonderful example of all the good things there are. Or you can use that information to do bad things, not only to your nation's resources, but to the people, even to your own family. So just having truth, that's important. Because maybe what you believe is a lie. But you believe it to be true. So even our truths that we believe, they must be challenged. The truth must be tested. It must be judged. It must be looked at very carefully. And then we must decide, is that the truth? The righteous truth. The truth that will serve my nation and myself in righteousness. So, truth is important. But having wisdom is vital. So, let's begin. As I said, I'm Pastor Deborah. And it has been an honor and a great privilege to have been invited to be your instructor. I follow Master Class Initiative. Get all their LinkedIn posts. I see all the wonderful teachers and topics and am well pleased with your founder as he is roaming through the wonderful speakers out there, picking topics and great presenters to help you. We all need a lot of help. We need truth and knowledge of skills and abilities. We need to learn things we never even thought of. I don't know about in your country, but over here, the teachers are having to learn how to do virtual school. They've never had any classes in it. They're having to learn how to teach students in the classroom and online at the same time. Education over here is going through changes probably for future generations to come. <coughs> Excuse me. My granddaughter is going to be in an online school. Not going to the brick and mortar school. It's a charter school. They're going to send her a laptop, all her workbooks. Her parents have set up her little desk and schoolroom in her bedroom. She's got new shoes and clothes. For her, who's going into the first grade, this will probably be the only kind of school she may ever really know. Now, her parents are wise enough to know about socialization and that she needs to be with other children, so they'll take care of that. I just told them on the phone that most children get their socialization in after-school programs, sports programs, volunteering in the community programs, daycare, where a bunch of kids play. Oh, they learn ballet. We have something over here called brownies and Girl Scouts and Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts. 
We also have learning how to play musical instruments. Some kids take classes. Dance. They learn ballet and jazz. All after school. Some learn how to march for a band or play an instrument. Some learn how to sing and act. That's all after school. Some have large neighborhoods. They can play with the kids in the neighborhood. Some have large families. They can play. Some children need quiet time. After a busy day with all the school and teachers, they just need to color and read and daydream and play with their toys. So socialization will happen. So they seem to be pleased. But education, I don't know about in your country, it is going through a major transformation. Probably will never be the same again. As is so many businesses and jobs. Maybe even your country is going through transformation because of COVID-19. That came out of the nation of China. Out of the city of Wuhan. You know, they're not quite sure if it came out of a laboratory, but they were testing this uh, virus in, or if it just happened to somehow escape out of a bat, which they eat in China, from the wet market. They don't know yet. And we might not ever know. We do know that it went through people. And the people traveled for a long time, for many months, went all over the world, and that's how it spread. If you study the bubonic plague, that's how it traveled, on the trade routes, the silk roads. And it went from person to person. So it's nothing new for planet Earth to deal with plagues and pandemics. Society's been wiped out almost completely before, and it started over. Sometimes it's sort of a way that nature has of burning out things, getting rid of some things that need to be cleared out. I don't know. But society and humanity seems to always survive, some of us, and they carry on. So sometimes you need to be prepared that this could be your last day. Or somebody that you know's last day. So it is a time to love yourself and love others. So I wanted to leave that. If you see something flying around, there's a bug in the house. I haven't been able to capture him yet and let him go. I usually don't try to kill him. I just capture him in a jar and let him go. He didn't want to be in here. He got in here through a door open or a window or something. But he belongs outside. That's his world. So as you know, this is class number 12. I was going to do just a review, but then God gave me something to talk about. So I hope throughout these 12 classes, you have learned more about yourself, about others, and about your leadership, and how to develop it. So let's begin. I want to begin this series with some wise words for you. 
They come out of the book of Ecclesiastes. It was written by King Solomon. This can be found in the Old Testament or the Torah. Both the Muslims know about this book and King Solomon. <clears throat> Excuse me. I want you to hear something. It's very important about your nation, even your own physical body. It's Ecclesiastics, who was written by Solomon after he had been wise, wise king. 10, 16 through 17. Verse 16. Woe to you, O land, when your king, your leader, is a child. That is a powerful statement. How many of our politicians, our leaders, even our mothers and fathers, our business leaders, still are a child in their maturity, in their understanding? They have not grown up. What does that mean? When you are a child, you're very petty. Me, 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 me. And you don't care about other people. You get angry fast. You like to fight. When you become mature, you go, I need to love myself. Forgive all that have hurt me. And love my neighbor. So even the land that can be your physical body can be the land you might consider your family the land of your own thoughts or mind the land of your city your little street or just the land where you live can mean the whole nation and it and king solomon is saying woe to you i feel sorry for you when your leader, your king, is a child. And your princesses, those are those leaders in the, that are moving up. Or maybe it's a, a man who's to be married. But he's not married yet. And he doesn't have his own home. He's still considered a prince. Because until you leave home, you get married... You have your own home to care for, your own job. You're still a prince. You're in training. But once you get married now and you have your own family, you're a king. And you must rule it appropriately. And King Solomon is warning the land, the territory that you are to be over, watching over your family, your city, your business, even over your physical body, that's a land. Over your soul and your spirit, that's a land. It says, woe to it when you are just a child in your thoughts and your actions and your behaviors. And your princesses, those who aren't mature yet. And they just eat in the morning. Now I'll explain that in the next one. Verse 17. Blessed are you, O land. So a land can be woed or cursed 
or it can be blessed. When your king is the son, the offspring of nobles. That means when your son acts as a noble, a worthy person, one who is a leader, one who is a shepherd. A noble was one who had to care for things, whether it was a castle, a house, a land, a territory, sheep, chickens, people. A noble cared, was a shepherd. It might be his or it might be somebody else's. He had to care for money, his own physical body he's a noble of. And he was to care for it. And your princesses, now we know who those are, those are kings in training. They eat in due season. Not in the morning when they are just hungry. And they get up and they eat. There's a time for them to eat. For their strength. They don't just give in to the lust of their tummy when it's hungry and growling. They eat for strength. There's a big saying. Do you eat to just live? Do you have strength? Or do you live to eat? Two don't doing the same thing, eating. But why do you eat? Some people eat because it tastes good. They're hungry. Their tummy's growling. They want the sugar hot. They want the salt. Their mouth wants to do something. It's sort of an addiction. Do you live purposely to get up every morning and eat? Or do you eat to sustain this body to live? And it's saying you don't eat for drunkenness. Did you know food is a drug? Mm-hmm. It will change your body chemistry. Just like alcohol or wine or any kind of drug. It's a chemical. When you drink tea, the caffeine, the water, it changes the system. It's a drug. So it's saying that there are some people, the land will be blessed when your kings and your leaders eat for strength and not for getting drunk. Not for the pleasure of just eating. Eating is necessary. But you have to watch it. Now, this class, class number 12, are you a king then? That is what we're going to talk about. This question was asked of a precious young man. Some of you may know of him. I know everybody's heard of him. His name was Jesus Christ. He was asked this question when he was taken before Pilate. He was arrested by the Pharisees who were very jealous of him, threatened by him, and they wanted him put to death because they were feeling that the people were leaving their way of teaching, leaving the temples, not giving the donations, the tithes to the temples. These Pharisees 
And the Sadducees, the religious leaders, were very threatened by this Jesus and his new message of love and showing healing and casting out of devils. So he was arrested by them as a false prophet. But they couldn't kill him, so they had to take him to Pilate, who was the Augustus Caesar's, who was the emperor of Rome, governor, legal governor there in Judea. So that's where we're going to pick up this class in. This is the question that Pilate asked Jesus. Are you a king then? I'm going to read you Jesus' answer, then we're going to explain. Jesus answered Pilate and said, For this reason was I born and came into the world to bear testimony unto this truth. That was his answer. Strange answer as it was. Wasn't he a, just a religious leader? We're going to find out. To help you answer this question, for you may be asked this also sometime, let's do a quick review of our other classes we've had. In our number one introduction video, we started with the concept that you must become a truth seeker in order to develop into the leader that you would like to be. And all of these other videos kind of continued on with that to help begin to reintroduce to you, to help you rediscover. See, you once knew this. Your spirit did. And even your soul knew this at one time. But this has been lost forgotten and missed and legends and you didn't remember it but hopefully you're starting to and to dis rediscover about yourself and others that you were born to become a leader so in video one after the introduction which ask you've got to become a truth seeker. The next one was, how disciplined to search are you? Now I'll put this link in the uh, as an end card to the leadership development section that you can go back and watch them all. The number th the next class we had was digging through the ancient books. Then the next one was, what part of you is the leader? We talked about is your spirit or your soul the leader that will be leading your nation? How to become a leader, we talked about. What are the characteristics of a leader, we talked about. What does a leader do? Do you know what they are to do yet? Why are leaders needed? 
passing the test of lust and pride. Big stuff. Counting the cost. Great cost to pay. And even your family will have to pay. And maybe your entire nation for generations to come. When does one become a leader? And number 12, are you a king then? So this final video, this final class of leadership development of Agape Love, Love is, here, Love is Here's Global Spiritual Teaching Ministry, and me, Pastor Deborah. Are you a king? This comes from the scriptures, John 18.37. Christ Jesus has been brought to the governor, the king of Judea, who was there for Caesar, Augustus, in Rome. This was a pattern that Jesus knew well about. The high king, the Caesar, was in a faraway land, another country. Yet he had his legal governor, Pilate, in Judea. And Pilate had all authority as the representative of Caesar Augustus. If you read the scriptures, you'll learn that when Jesus was in front of the priest, he didn't open his mouth. He wasn't in the right place with the right people to be talking. He had to be in a government that represented nations before he would speak. And Pilate was that person was a government official representative of a kingdom called Rome the Roman Empire and Pilate was brought to Pilate for Pilate to judge him and Pilate asked Jesus as he's standing before him bound are you a king as they say you are a king of the Jews. Why was this question so important for Pilate to ask Jesus? Did this title threaten Pilate or Caesar who was in Rome? Why did Pilate not ask Jesus if he was a priest? of a religion or a prophet of a god or a holy man or an intercessor or a rabbi which means teacher why didn't he ask him those questions why did he ask him are you a king the king of the Jews what would you say if a world leader from another country asked you are you a leader are you the leader of this country are you the leader of your family 
Are you the leader of your spirit, soul, and body? Satan will ask you that question. Who's in charge of the spirit, this soul, and this body? Who's the king of it? You will be asked that question. You will be judged. You will be called before people. You may not know that you are, but you will be. For everyone is judged. Because everyone's going to be asked, Are you a king then? Who is a king? He's a legal representative of a nation, a country, a territory, a system. He rules it. He has authority over it. He has domain over it. He's the protector of it, the shepherd of it. He guards and protects. He's a big wig, sort of speaking. So Pilate's asking this young Jesus guy, Are you a king then of the Jews? Why was this important to Pilate to ask him? Why was this title of a king so important to ask Jesus? Is this still an important question to ask someone? Even to ask of you? Are you a king? As we've learned, the word king means leader. A ruler, a master, a controller. One with authority and dominion. You speak, it's done. You put your signature to something. Law. One with a kingdom, a territory, a land, possessions. One with an army, a warrior, a conqueror. One who will challenge a Caesar. The Lord of Rome. How would you answer this question? If someone said, are you a king of your nation? You'd say, yes. Oh boy, will they flip out. Because that brings up some bad memories of kings. Here in America, they had a revolution. The American Revolution. They fought to break away from King George. Now, he was not a good king. And when you have bad kings, the people want to break away from you. His was about taxation, which is money. And if you go back and look at all of history, oops, taxation, raising money from the poor for war and battle so the king can have more territory, more authority, it will rise people up. Because the only money the king has is yours. So King George of England at that time was not a very nice king. And he was attacking people for their beliefs. There is a major war, if you study it, between Catholicism and Protestantism. For who was going to be the religion of the king? And then the king or the queen would order the whole nation. And would you sit under the pope? 
and Catholicism and do what he tells you to do? Or would you be directly under this divine God yourself, as the Protestant said? Major war for the kings. Who was your spiritual leader? Who were you under? So King George was not a good king. He may have been good in other ways. But with the colonies, he was taxing them. They had no representation in England. They had no say. For they were looked at as just slaves. They were looked at as just, you are the workmen. You're going to work for us, grow the sheep, do that, and send it back to England. We'll make the sweaters, and then we'll sell them back to you. It was just a land of resources and the early pilgrims and everybody, the 13 colonies, just worked for the king. And it was like that whether you came from Spain or Portugal or France and you came to America. These were people that they really didn't know how to govern themselves. Our, the early fathers of America, they knew all about France and England and government and leaders and they wrote it up. They were trying to follow the system of the Greeks called the Democratia, which means the people rule. But also there was a big fight in Greece back then between Socrates and Plato. Some people said just the average person can vote and be the leader. Other people believed you had to be learned, have knowledge to lead a nation. Democracy Democrati comes from the Greeks. So the Greeks are actually still ruling. Their form of government is ruling America and probably your country. The Greeks did not believe in Christ Jesus or Allah or even knew anything of Buddha or Confucius. They believed in polygods. And we are still using their system to run our nations. You do a study of it. It's wonderful. So the dead Greek people who came up with Democrata where the people vote for one person and that person rules. Not a king. Because kings and queens had been so bad, so unrighteous, so mean, so unruly. The people didn't want that form of government anymore. And we're going to get into that. So let's keep going here. So how could this earthly, this man called Jesus, be of any threat to Caesar? He didn't carry a shield or a sword. He just sat around and talked about seeds and grapes and healed people and seemed to do good things even to the Romans didn't talk about overthrowing the Roman government never talked about fighting that was the zealots which Judas Iscariot was they were going to have a revolution and they were going to fight they were going to kick out Rome uh, yeah right Jesus didn't do that he said, love them. Don't go just one mile with them. According to the law, go two. Love them. Help them. So he was a strange teacher. 
Did that threaten Caesar in Rome? No, but it threatened the religious leaders. It threatened their way of worship and service and taxation. Wasn't Caesar divine? Wasn't he chosen by the God? So how could an earthly man threaten a divine person? I don't see you have any army, Jesus. Where are your... Oh, you got some old sinners and prostitutes and people that used to be fishermen. They are your followers. They don't know how to fight. You're no threat to me. You're not a king. Not sure what you are, but, you know, what's a king of the Jews? Are you going to be like King David? You're going to come in here and we're going to do battle? That's what Caesar was thinking through Pilate. Pilate was trying to find out that answer. What kind of leader are you? Do we need to be worried about you, threatened by you? Were you divinely chosen as Caesar was? Are you a threat to our rule in Judea? That was the question. How would you answer that question? Would people be looking at you in the same way? Are you a threat to the system that is operating in your nation currently? Even if you have no followers, would they perceive you as a threat? Would they ask you that question? Who are you? You've never been a politician. Who are you to be the city leaders? You're not even married. Who are you? You haven't even gone to the religious schools. You're not married yet. Who are you? Are you a king then? That was the ant question. Caesar, through Pilate, was asking. Would you be a threat to the current system that's in your country? Would you be a threat? Would the current political system and people see you as a threat to them? Would the religious leaders in your nation perceive you to be a threat? Probably. If you followed Pastor Deborah, you would. They'd want to kill you threaten you attack you because what's that saying you're either with us or you're against us so here's this young man before Pilate being asked a question are you a king then what did that mean when Pilate was asking him it meant are you divinely chosen by a God. Have you been ordained by a God to be leader? Have you had battles and won? Are you guided by a God? Do you worship a God? Do you allow and decree and serve and worship a God who helps you in battle? That's what the question was asking this young man named Jesus. 
What manner of a leader are you? Your people seem to say you're a king of them. Are you? That was the question Pilate was asking Jesus. So how did this all happen? Well, let's look. While you're thinking about this question and how you would respond to a major world leader or a citizen on your street or a friend, are you a king then? You could ask it, are you a leader then? It's a question that the word king and leader is full of meaning, concepts, ideas, and philosophies. So you just be thinking about that. And now we're going to go. And I want you to hear some things about what kind of king Pilate was trying to find out. And how all the world, your family, your friends, Satan, God, your nation are going to want to know about you. What kind of king are you? Would you be one that would reject a divine God? Israel did. I'm going to tell you the story how that happened. As we learn by studying our ancient books, the Holy Bible, the Torah, the Old Testament, even Allah knows about this. Originally, the Israelites were set free by a king out of Egypt. It was a king of the Jews who was unseen, battling the king Pharaoh of Egypt. This king got him out in the wilderness. He fed him and cared for him. Said, I got some land over there I want you to have. But I can't send you there right away. You're not warriors yet. You're still sheep and slaves in your thinking. So we're going to have to take some time and help you. So eventually when they came out of the desert and they got their own land. Now they were dead spiritual people. But every once in a while. Every generation, God would pick somebody whose heart desired to talk to him, get to know him. And one of these was a young man named Samuel. Samuel was the child of Hannah. Hannah had been married and was barren and cried out to God in the church and the synagogue that if he would grant her a child, she would give the child back to him as an offering and a gift. So Hannah had a child, Samuel. When he was about five years old, she gave him back to the church, so to speak. And he was raised up under a priest. And he learned about the ways of the priesthood. And he started hearing God's voice as a child. He'd be sleeping in a dream. And he'd hear his name, Samuel. Samuel. 
God was talking to this young child, so do not ever think a child cannot hear a voice of a God. So Samuel would wake up from his dream, run to Eli, the priest he was helping, and say, yes, sir, what is it? And Eli would say, I didn't call you. So little Samuel would go back to sleep again, and the same thing happened. And this happened three times in one night. Eli realized this God that he was serving, but had never heard his voice, was calling out to Samuel, this child. We're all going to be called as children. Prophecies are going to be spoken over us by our ancestors. Decrees and declarations will be made that we will be a child with great influence, leaders, and kings. So here's little Samuel. He goes back and he hears the voice again. Samuel. He says, yes, sir. Your servant is here. And from that time on, Samuel could hear the voice of God. He talked to it. He knew it was the God of Israel who had saved them out of Egypt. And this Samuel and God worked together in a partnership. And Samuel was a mighty prophet. And he served God and he was close to God. But then what happened? Samuel grew old. And he, not God, decided to make his two sons priests. They didn't have the same training that Samuel did. Didn't have the same heart. Were of a different generation. And when they became judges, some bad things started happening. I'm going to read it to you. First Samuel 1 through 22. This is going to help you to understand <clears throat> what a king and a leader is. For there are righteous ones and there are unrighteous ones. And when you get asked this question, are you a king, a leader? People are wanting to know what kind, what manner of king are you? Verse 1, And it came to pass, when Samuel was old, an old leader, an old politician of a nation, so that he made, he, he decided, not God, that his sons, judges, he made them judges and priests, leaders, governors, over Israel, the nation, the people. That takes us off to another scripture. This is how Pastor Deborah learned. Deuteronomy sixteen eighteen. Now you from the Muslim faith, you believe in the Torah. I just watched a video. I know you do. So you know that is the word of God. And it was given. So don't get all freaked out. Go to it. Muhammad knew this. He read the Torah. He knew about the Old Testament and that God. He knew about all the prophets. Did you know that all those of Arab descent, 
if are from Ishmael, the firstborn son of Abraham, and Abraham and Ishmael's God was the God of Israel. Did you know that? Now he got kicked out because the bless he was a child of the flesh with the Egyptian slave Hagar. But you are family with Isaac, who became the Jews. You are family. You had the same father. You listened to the same stories about this God. So Muhammad knew that. All the Arabs knew of that. Even Allah himself said the Old Testament, the Torah, was the word of God. And you were to study it and learn it and not depart from it. So Deuteronomy 16, 18. Judges and officers shall you make you in all your gates the entrances of the city, the place of authority, dominion, judgment, which the divine God, the Lord, your God, gives you throughout your tribes, your towns, your groups, your cities, your families. And they, these judges, shall judge with just judgment. Now, in your spirit, soul, and body, we have gates. They're doorways, entrances. When things come at us from the biological world, the natural world through the five senses, we have gates in our mind that are to judge those and look at them and see if they are good and we're to judge in righteousness. Our spirit has gates. They're doorways, entrances. So everything is to come through the gates and be judged. Verse 19. You, the judge. This is what Samuel's two kids were to be. What Samuel was. What a leader is to be. What a king is to be shall not perverse, pervert, twist, corrupt judgment. Boy, does that happen. Mm-hmm, we all see it. We kind of hear about it. There's two different sets of laws. Group of elites and the lords and the politicians and those. They have one that they don't live under the same laws as us average citizens. So everybody wants to be a king. Well, they don't have to obey. Even if they break the law, they never go to jail. Because there's two laws. Because we have judges who are perverting righteousness. You shall have no respect, partiality of persons. Neither take a gift, money, a bribe, possessions for a gift does blind the eyes of the wise, the judge. That could be a whole lesson in itself. And the wise servant 
the wise judge will pervert, will twist, corrupt the matters, the words, the judgment of the righteous. We all see it. We all know it. Even when a father judges the actions of his children or his wife, they will pervert it. We all see it and we hate it. We don't like it, but we don't know what to do. But it's right there. Islam knows it. I'll give you an example. In Islam and in the Catholic, you're not allowed to really have sex unless you're married. So what does they do in Islam? When a man wants to travel or wants to have sex with a virgin, because they seem to be the best, the most holiest and divine, untouched, pure, clean, got to marry him. So you get a small child, 10, 11. You have the imam sort of behind the closed doors marry you. And you know what the imam will tell them? Don't go in the front door through the vagina. She's not of age yet. Go in the back door through the anus. And have at it till she's of age. Why? They want sex. The body wants pleasure. But it has to be in a marriage relationship. Over here in America, we had a group of people called the FDLS. They were Mormons, fundamental, Latter-day Saints. They would have child brides. Now, they would marry one legal person. They would get married at 12. That's usually when you can start having children. For a female, she goes into puberty. And that way nobody else touches it. And the state of Florida had to stop them. A state of Texas. They were a mar- and what they would do is they would marry legally with a marriage certificate. One woman. But they would have spiritual brides. And they would then go on unemployment. Not unemployment. But they would go to the federal government and say, Oh, we have children. We are unmarried. And we need food stamps. We need support for our children. Because they weren't legally married. So sometimes people just have a weekend where they get married. Now in prostitution and human trafficking, they don't worry about that. They'll do it with boys, girls, it doesn't matter. Because the biological body, the brain wants the, the dopamines... The serotonin going off. The body wants to feel pleasure. And these are creatures of pleasure. And that's all they think about. Their eyes want to look at something beautiful, innocent, gorgeous. They want to be made who knows what. They're body oriented. So a judge, a leader, a king, a politician... By taking gifts and money for their re-election. Can, they're taking bribes. Because they have to answer to the people who gave them money. Verse 20. That which is altogether just. 
righteous shall you judge of the nation of the people of your family of your city shall you follow and do bring answers to so that you may live and inherit the land the kingdom which the Lord God gives you unless you do right you can't inherit the things that this God wants to give you you'll die you won't be you won't get it it's not the people giving it to you it's the God Oop, that was that bug I'm going to stop and see if I can get him out I got him I had to open the door and let him out he was trying to get to the light so that's done thank you alright so we're learning that a judge can pervert the law can pervert judgment by taking gifts and bribes and we learned some of the ways that they do the perversion so I hope this this helps you to see the righteous definition and the manner of a judge and a king now let's get back to 1 Samuel 8 1 through 22 verse 2 now the name of his firstborn son was Joel and the name of his second son was Abildah that may not be right probably they were judges in Beersheba verse 3 and Samuel's sons walked judged lived did not act or perform in their father's Samuel's ways but turned aside Uh perverted corrupted twisted went after money and gifts and took bribes and perverted judgment we have them all over the world countries giving politicians money for re-election will help you have speaking fees if you'll do this you'll get a promise of that for your children if you do this it's done all the time we see it we know it and we hate it for they have become as Samuel's children perverting the gift they were given of leadership and kingship verse 4 then all the elders the leaders of the people the fathers of the voters even the voters themselves of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel at Ramoth verse 5 and said unto him behold you are old Samuel and your sons they walk they live they act and they judge not in your ways of righteousness Israel we don't like them now make us a king to judge us like all the other nations when you put your hand on a holy book and you become a leader or you take a vow to be the husband or the father 
you have just taken a vow to a God. If you break that vow, he's coming after you. These kids of Samuel took an oath and a vow to uphold. They watched their father. What happened? Why did they go after money and bribes and pervert it? They caused the nation of Israel to no longer want the system of government that God had been providing for them. They wanted something else. And that takes us to Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 20. When you are coming to the land, Moses is telling the people, which the Lord your God gives you, and you shall possess it, you're going to say to him and to me, your God, I will set a king over me, like as all the other nations that are about me. God already knew this was coming. He knew they were going to turn from him. And they wanted to be like all the other nations. Is that what you want? To be like all the other nations? You want to fit in? You want to be a part of the herd? You want to go along to get along? Is that you? Is that how you're going to lead? Or are you going to be connected to a divine God? Allah knows that the Old Testament was the word of God. Do you follow the Old Testament. Do you read these stories about your ancestors that led into Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and that formed all of Israel? Do you study that? You don't. Allah tells you in the Quran it's the Word of God. It's true. They knew it. He knew it. Muhammad knew it. Because did you know that the Torah had been around even for 600 years before Muhammad was even born? Your Bedouins knew about it. It had been around. The stories about Egypt, the flood, they've been around. You're just not paying attention. Verse 15. This is God speaking. You shall in any wise, any way, set him, this king, over you, whom I, the Lord your God, shall choose. One from among your brethren shall you set king over you. You may not set a stranger over you, which is not your brother. This means one who's not considered nowadays a spiritual relative. A non-physical Jew back then would have been it. Now it means a spiritual Jew. Those who believe in Christ Jesus. But if you notice in your countries, the kings marry the queens. They marry their cousins. They're all family they're all brothers and sisters and uncles and nephews and nieces. And they don't put anybody else in kingship unless it comes from the family. That's the big fight between the Sunnis and the Shias. 
Now, Alexander, if you study him, he had no children. So he left his empire to his four generals. One got Egypt, one got another part. Cleopatra came from the Ptolemy, uh, who was under Alexander. So you do have cases where generals, who were uh, servants of a leader, take over land and territory, split it up. Then you have others who stay within the family. Because they'll go back to the Torah and they'll say family only. Now in the Sunni and the Shia, everybody's family. If you get down to it, we're all brothers and sisters. Excuse me, got a scratch. Verse 16. But he, this king, shall not multiply, increase horses, gather goods, wealth, riches, armies and weapons, possessions to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt physically, spiritually, or emotionally, mentally, in desires and thoughts and dreams and concepts. When a leader multiplies, increases their own wealth for themselves, speaking fees, we had that right here. Give us some of your uranium, and we'll give your husband a speaking fee. Do this, and we'll let him speak. Do that, and he'll get a speaking fee. Oh, we want to have favor with you. We'll give your son some money. We'll put him on our board of directors. Oh, you want this? We'll get you a Netflix show. Oh, you want that? Oh, We'll give you free education. Oh, it goes on and on and on and on. And on and Oh, you got to go to the right school. You got to get in skull and bones and the right fraternity. Oh. You don't serve the country. You serve the company, the family. You want to watch how a lot of this is done? Go watch the movie, The Good Shepherd, with Matt Damien. It's how the CIA came about and how they picked their judges. You go watch some of the shows about skull and bones here in America. You'll learn who the leaders are. Oh, you want to learn how you get also to be leader? You get a scholarship, road scholarship. And you got to sit on the right groups the right councils, the right foreign relations boards. Got to marry the right person. It's all, sort of all in the family. When a king or a leader does that, he causes the people to turn their thoughts and hearts back to where they came from. Because it looks better. Because when you've been in slavery, you want your leaders to do right. Because you've had bad leadership. And when the leader that you believe in turns on you, gets horses and wealth to himself, then your heart is broken. You're angry and mad. And you just want to go back to when you were just a slave. At least you knew the rules. And you knew those evil, wicked people would, oh, it was bad, but that's just what they do. You wouldn't have your heart crushed by one of your own doing the same thing to you.
So by a king increasing horses, his riches and power, his wealth or possessions, to himself, even from the land that you were freed from, he, this king, by increasing them, will cause the people to want to go home, back to where they knew they were ruled by bad people. It is devastating to put your hopes on a person who's one of yours and they turn out to just be like the Egyptians, the pharaohs, the enslavers. Their heart is broken. Why should I live under my brother when I can go back and live? At least I had leeks and foods. I knew the system. This is crushing when one of your people rises up and enslaves you. It will cause the people. So this king, this leader, will cause his people to look back to slavery. Verse 17. Neither shall this king from among you multiply or increase or gain in power. You shouldn't have many wives. And we call them harems to himself. A lot of them had thousands of wives. Sometimes you married for trade or to make peace agreements or to keep the peace or as a token of a contract, a trade agreement between two kings. Women were pawns. They had provided children, so we're now sort of connected. We're family. And then sometimes the kings just wanted unadvised, unbridled sexual pleasure. He loved the virgins, the young ones, because they get pregnant and then you can't have sex with them. And then they kind of grow old and they're not pretty anymore and I want to touch and pretty stuff. So he's saying this God is telling him, you can't do that, king. One. So that his heart, this king's heart, his spirit and soul would not turn away from this God. When you just live for sex, your heart turns away from God. You're not thinking about your people. You're thinking about having pleasure. You're thinking about how can I get more girls or boys. I'll make them wives. I'll call them wives. And, but they're not the queen. They don't have any say so. But they're married to me. And they'll produce children for me. But I just want the pleasure. And your heart, king, leader, will turn from God. And you'll turn from the righteous way. When you study King Solomon, and he married people who were not of the Jewish faith, they turned his heart. Now sometimes we run into that now. People marry other people because they love and guess what happens? Love does a great work. And he says, You shall also neither multiply or increase to himself silver and gold. Grow wealthy from being a king. The leader take bribes or gifts or special deals. Verse 18. And when you choose a king, when this happens, from among yourselves... 
when he sits upon the throne of his kingdom, his nation, his city, his county, his business, just the elders of the church, so that he shall write for himself. He's got something he has to do. He's got to write a copy of this law that it, this God is telling him right now how he is to live. Don't multiply gold and silver or horses or wives to yourself. In a book, out of that which is before the priest, the Levites, the spiritual leaders, how many of you that are a leader have the Torah sitting there and you read it every single day? And you study the law for a king. Well, the politician would say, I'm not a king, so I don't have to follow those. we got some something going on here. They are a king. They're a leader. They're a shepherd. Oh, I'm not divinely chosen. The people elected me. But they act as demonic kings. Can't get them out once they get in. They don't serve their group. We got people here who are now dead. Who they would complain about other people, other politicians, and their districts were a mess, filthy. The school systems were bad. Unemployment was bad. They didn't care, they just wanted the position. They wanted the money, the wealth, the better health care. Did you know that when Obamacare, affordable health care, came out, the legislators, the Democrats, the senators, even the president, they would not go under the affordable health care themselves. They kept their own health care. And that president sat there and told us on TV, that the rest of the people would not have to give up their chosen doctors themselves, period. Well, it wasn't but a year later, and he said, I'm so sorry, I didn't really mean that. We have to be fair. They didn't give up theirs. They don't walk by the same rules. They don't have, they want everybody to give up your self-protection, but they want secret service around them. Why? Because they're so important. They're leaders. They don't need it anymore. Did you know the president still gets secret service? They don't need it. They're not in. But they were the president. President is nothing. But they think there's something. You got them in your country. We got them here. They just replaced the word president with king. And if they could, they would stay in it for life. Because the benefits are so good. And, and I just saw a wonderful King Arthur movie. You can be drunk on power. That will surge through your... And you don't want to give it up. The power you have over people and nations. You get to hobnob with the real queens and kings of the world. You move armies around. You have at your fingertips nuclear bombs. Your word says in the military moves, that's power. People love it. 
They don't want to give it up. And some people get into it because their families got into it. They're serving a higher power. They're serving globalism or one world government. They're serving something else besides the people that voted for them. They believe the people who voted for them are ignorant. They don't know anything. Just keep them entertained. Give them food and housing and sports. But don't look over here what we're doing. The treaties we're making. How we're allowing countries that have dragons to come in and take over this nation. How we're slowly eroding our faith in God. We're passing laws and we're doing our pen and our pencil. Don't look here. Just go to the ball games. Go to the movie theaters. Let the drugs come in. Oh, we don't need borders. We're all one world citizens. We're just one big nation. Oh, we don't need to have our own sovereignty. We'll sit under the International Court of Justice. and We'll be ruled by unelected officials. You have to look very carefully at politicians. They'll look right in the camera. They'll lie to you. They'll, like, there's a saying about you put some boiling, low boiling water on and you want to cook some. Alive, you do it slowly. They never know it's coming. That's what most of our politicians do. Slowly over the years, law by law, statute by statute, Democrat, Republican, it doesn't matter, labor, Tory, it doesn't We're all working towards the same goal. No borders, no sovereign nations, everybody under one system, under one thing. But the leaders, they all live differently. They'll tax you, they'll tell you how to live your life, but they won't live by the same rules. We got them over here, so do you. So let's keep going. That was my little two cents worth. Verse 19, and it shall be with him, this book, this king, this word of the law of the kings, that he shall read it. This king's got to read all the days of his life so that he may learn, have respect and honor, and to obey and fear and respect the Lord his God. This God, and I bet you if you talk to Muhammad, you better have a deep belief that you are divinely connected to a God. And to keep all the words of this law and these statutes to do them. There's a lot of you can't do things the king needs to learn, and there's things that the king must do. Verse 20. So that his heart and his spirit will not be lifted up in pride and lust above his brethren. And that he turn not aside away from the commandment to the right hand or to the left hand. To the end that he will prolong his days in his kingdom. Now that can mean you will... The kingdom of spirit, soul, and body. 
or the king or in the position of leadership in your city, your family, your nation, and his children in the midst of Israel. Lots to learn. Are you a king then? Have you learned this? Have you studied this? Have you looked at the rules for a politician, a leader? Back to 1 Samuel 8, 1 through 22. Verse 6. But the thing, this request of having their own king, like all the other nations of the elders, displeased Samuel. When they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed, he talked to God. And the Lord said unto Samuel, verse 7, Hearken, listen unto the voice of the people, the elders, or the voice of the people. Now they were all spiritually dead to God, no Holy Spirit inside of them, no close spiritual relationship with him as Samuel had. Just flesh, carnal, spiritual beings creatures to God in their image and likeness they were basically dead to him their nature was of a satanic nature adversaries to God rebellious sinful hateful towards their God and their neighbors that was Satan in all they say unto you Samuel for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, so that I reign and rule over them. They didn't want him who had helped him them to be free from Egypt. He's an unseen God. You talk to Allah will tell you that one. There's no picture of this God. There's no picture of Allah. Why? They don't want you to have it. You'd build it and worship it. He says, they're rejecting my divine rulership, kingship over them. Verse 8. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them out of Egypt, out of slavery, even unto this day, where they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also unto you. When you reject this God as a king and a leader, you want to be like all the other nations. Guess who's also going to pick you on up? The other God of this world. You're going to serve one God or another God. They aren't going to let you not serve especially in leadership verse 9 now therefore hearken Samuel listen unto their voice however yet in protest disagree with them strongly and solemnly very seriously as if in a warning unto them and show them tell them reveal to them the manner, the kind, the characteristics, the guidelines of this king that shall reign over them. Verse 10. 
And Samuel told all the words of the Lord unto the people that asked him of a king. Verse 11, and he said, This will be the manner, the type, the kind, the characteristics, the quality, the deeds, the works, the actions of this king you want that shall reign and rule over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself. Usually the sons were taken at about 12 years of age. They could be sold to other nations. The Vikings would take 10,000 of them this year. The Persians would want 10,000. Sons were given as a way of trade and we won't fight. You owe us. We beat you in battle. You give us your sons because we need more soldiers because they keep dying. You'll lose your sons. For his chariots to be, they're going to take over. They're going to drive his chariots. They're going to be his horsemen. And some shall run before his chariots. Your son will work for him, not for you and the family. They won't be there for you in your old age. They will be slaves. They'll have no say in the matter. You give them up, he takes them. He can do whatever he wants to. He'll give them away, sell them, trade them. Send them as a bargaining tool, a token. they gone, usually at 12. In the Spartan rule, they went earlier, about seven. Mamas had to give up their kids. That was law. Verse 2, number 2. And he will appoint him captains over thousands. And your sons will rule over others. Other sons they will be in the king's military. They will fight for him and stay in power and die for him. And captains over fifties. And will set them, your sons, to ear. I mean, they're going to work for him. They're going to plant and plow his fields and his crops. Not yours. You won't have the help anymore. They, your sons, will no longer help you in the family, in planting. Only the king. And to reap and to harvest his harvest and to make his instruments of war. All their days, their youth, their strength, their life, they will work for this king. His slaves and workers, they may not even get paid, may not be able to send any money back to you. Not his family or his town, they will not be of help to you or of others. A lot of them were given at this uh, into the Roman army. You go watch some movies about Persia. If you got defeated in battle, they're going to take you. As a part of the deal, they're going to take your children, your slaves. You go study on Nebuchadnezzar. He took, when he defeated Israel, he took their wise men, he took their temple, he took their money, he took their children, their wives. You lose, and we're going to strip you of everything. And God is saying, this is the kind of king you're going to have. They will be the king's blacksmiths, their cooks, metal workers, builders, butchers, cloth makers, farmers, 
herders of animals the king owns. They're not going to work for you. They can't work for themselves. They can't have their own business anymore. They work for the government. Verse 13. And he will take your daughters to be his confectionaries, his lovely virgin treats, his sexual pleasures and desires for himself. Not to marry them, but sometimes they would, but to enjoy as he desires sexually and in other ways as pawns to use as gifts to give to others, to pass around to guests as spoils of war, as bargaining tools for treaties. He will take your virgin daughters for himself, his pleasure, and to spread his seed, his sperm around. He will have the right to have sex with every bride on their wedding night before their legal husband does. Your daughters are his possessions. And they will be his cooks and his maids and his bakers. And they serve him. They will have no right to their own life and their own family and their own children. They'll just slave away for the king. And they're not free ever again. Just like they were in Egypt. He will take them in their childhood for his service. His household and his needs. Verse 14. And he will take your fields and your houses and your crops. Yours and your possessions. Your cattle and your sheep. Your goats. Your horses. Your wine your taxes, your vineyards, and your olive groves. You'll just take your land and say it's crown land. Even the best of them, and give them to his officers and his servants. You you lose the right to hunt your own deer. All the animals belong to him. All the forests and the wood. If you cut down a tree, you are touched the king's crown land. They'll string you up. And hang you. You lose. He wins. Verse 15. And he this king will take. The tenth. That's a tax. A tithe. Of your seed. Your crops. Your money. And your products. Of your vineyards. And give them to his servants. Verse 16. And he this king. Which you desire. To be like the other nations will take your men servants and your maid servants, those who help you and your family, your laborers, your slaves, your best workers, your young men and women, and your asses, your mules, your donkeys, your property, your transportation, your wagons, your horses, your boats. And put them to his work. For everything belongs to him. You lose all you have for this king. Verse 17. He will take a tenth of your sheep. That's your food. Your wool for clothes. Your blankets. And put them to his work. You lose your means of food, clothing, blankets, money, 
to this king. Verse 18. And you shall cry out in that day. Because of your king. You shall have chosen you. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. How many nations of people praying for their country. Their politicians. Their leaders. How many are praying because they're under evil and unrighteous leaders. We have them all over the world. We've had them since forever. And yet nothing changes. Verse 19. Nevertheless, despite all these warnings, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, No. But we will have a king over us. Even after all the warnings and what it's going to be like. They refused to hear these words of wisdom. They were so angry at Samuel's too. They were so mad. They didn't care. They were blind. They believed that this God had turned from them. Because he, through Samuel, gave them these two boys. So God must be crooked. So when you are a leader, and you declare you are a, we'll say, Christian or a Muslim, and you do things like this, they believe Allah and God, Buddha and stuff, It's like that. And they want nothing to do with them. You better be careful and listen. So let's go to Jeremiah 44, 16. For as the word that you have spoken. Samuel just told him. Unto us in the name of the Lord, Samuel. We will not hearken, listen to, or obey. Or take heed unto. We ain't paying attention. We don't want what this God has. Because this God. He is not nice. We don't like him. When you represent a king. And a lord. And a divine God. Caesar did. You also represent the God. That you serve. Any imam. Who says he represents. Allah. That impression that they give us. We will say. Oh that's how Allah must be. When you are a pastor. A shepherd. A teacher of a Christ Jesus. God the creator. And you do wrong. You say you're a Christian. And you lie. Cheat. Steal. Have sex in the Oval Office. Well. Do something under the desk. You sell the country's nation's goods to somebody else for speaking engagement. You have your family take money from crooked nations. You encourage protesting, violent protesting. You pray and you believe it's all right to kill a little babies in the womb. And you say you pray. And you're a believer in Christ. People are saying. Then that Christ must be a horrible God. 
you represent him and you break the, you tarnished God's image and that's what they were saying that these two boys of Samuel had done so bad they didn't want this God anymore First Samuel verse 20 that we the elders of Israel our own selves and nations our kingdom of spirit and soul and body we want to be like all the nations this God has proven himself to be horrible through these two young representatives Samuel's kids we don't want him we'd rather be like everybody else at least we know those rules we had high hopes for this God for this person they put their hand on the Bible took an oath they lied to us right on the camera they're adulterers they take bribes they lie to us and yet they pray for us and it turns the people's heart away from that God they want nothing to do with that God they blame the God then they learn how to play the system and they learn how to beat him and they learn how to get what they want they go no we want to be like all the nations and that our king may judge us they didn't want this God to judge them in their thoughts and their ideas tell them what to do he had proven through these two boys that he was an unrighteous judge. We ain't going to have it. And go out before it. We don't want him going ahead and leading us and guiding us. He's a perverted God. He twists the judgment. And we don't want him fighting our battles for us. We'll do it ourselves. We'll fight dirty. We'll make deals that he would never make. Because these two boys so polluted the image and likeness of this God that they served it caused the people to forsake him when you get in leadership and you are there as a divine person you better walk that walk and they wanted, didn't want this God to judge them anymore or go before them and guide them and lead them didn't want him to fight for them anymore. So one, so God would no longer judge the people through prophets and priests. We ain't going to listen to him, what he tells us to do. We're going to do what we want to do. Two, we didn't want him going out before them to guide them, prepare the way, show us the way, or fight for us battles. God will no longer battle for Israel against their enemies. Or give Israel the battle plans. Or send in the host of heaven the angels. In time of help. Won't give you any warnings. No support. No healings. No victories. And they said fine. He's already proven to us through these two children of Samuel. He is not worthy of judging us. He is not worthy of fighting force, he takes bribes, he perverts the law. That is the power. When you are a leader, you can turn the people against a divine God. So, 
Which kind of manner of king will you be? I bring all this up on the last class of leadership development of the Master Class Initiative of Nigeria to help you seriously consider leadership and what manner of leader, of king, you will choose to be. Will you be a mighty leader under the judgment, the guidance and protection, under a strong arm of a divine God? Or will you be in the manner of a king like other nations that the elders of Israel desired to have? How would Pilate respond to you when you're asked by anyone, are you a king, a leader? What would you answer? Could you answer as Christ Jesus did in John 18, 33 through 35, verse 33? Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall and called Jesus and said, Remember, you're going to be judged. Spiritually, people are going to be looking at you, saved and unsaved. Believers and unbelievers. They're going to look at your soul's action. I just heard a wonderful thing. Watching a movie about King Arthur. There was a sort of Merlin. Was asked by a soldier. Who or what do you serve? He was trying to find out if this Merlin dude. Served himself. His ideas. Because he had told him I was trying to help this young boy who was now Caesar, to have new ideas and to be a free thinker. So the soldier wanted to know, what do you serve? And Merlin answered back, a wise man does not ask another what he serves or who he serves. Then the soldier answered, because the actions of that person will reveal themselves who and what they serve. And Merlin said to the soldier, ah, you have read well, you have read Seneca, who was a leader of Rome. I don't have to ask you who you serve. I'll watch you. You will tell me yourself through your actions, your behaviors. If you're a leader, the decisions you make. I will listen to your words. Why you want to do this? Are you for this or for that? Why are you doing what you're doing? What do you want out of the job? Your actions will reveal to me. Your words will speak. Your eyes will talk to me. I may have to get you on another news conference. Text messages will slip out. Phone messages will come. People will talk. But I also have a listening ear and seeing eyes 
that knows everything. And so I don't have to even ask you. I just ask him. So, could you answer this question? Are you a king then? Verse 33, Then Pilate entered into his judgment hall again, and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king, the leader of the Jews? Now think about yourself. Verse 34, Jesus answered him, Say you this thing of yourself? By your own conclusions? By your own knowledge? And understanding? Or did others tell you of me? When people judge you, you got a right to ask them, well, why do you say that? Where do you get that information from? Who told you that? What would other... What would other leaders say of you? What would others in your family, your cities, organizations say of you? Verse 35. Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priest have delivered you unto me to judge. When you are brought to the world leaders of the flesh, of the other nations... That are ruled by the lust of the flesh. The satanic dark kingdom of ignorance. To be judged. By the unsaved you'll be judged. By the unrighteous. By others in other religions you will be judged. In your decisions. Who you serve. What you serve. And what you think about yourself. What manner of king or leader will they see in you? Verse 35. Pilate continuing. What have you done? Such a powerful question to ask. How and what would you answer to this question? What have you done to be brought that needs to be judged? That I need to look at? To determine... If you're a king or not. What are they going to look at you and judge you on? Your righteousness? Your decisions? How you treated people? Why do you think you're a king? Who put you there as a leader? What have you done? Pilate was asking Jesus. Verse 36. Jesus answered. Could you answer this way? I've had to do this. My kingdom. Oh dear. Only a king. Can have a kingdom. Means king's domain. Territory. Land. Is not. Of this world. Huh? I'm not a king like all the other nations. I'm not an earthly king that we just heard about is going to have all those, do all those things. I'm a king of another world. Here we have an earthly kingdom, Rome, that's represented by Pilate and Caesar judging you. 
It's not of this world. Now that is, can you say that? When somebody says, you're the king of Nigeria, no. I'm a king of the kingdom of heaven that has been sent, born in this land of Nigeria. Can you talk like that? Can you stand before the people and say you're not of this world? Your kingdom, you are you are a king but not of this world? Well, what does this mean to you, to others? A king from another world? What world are you talking about? Can you just see Pilate looking up? Oh, okay, what is going on here? Because only the gods are from another world. Then if it was then if it this kingdom was of this earthly carnal satanic world Jesus said that you are a part of and that you represent Rome if my kingdom was from here would my servants my army my soldiers fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews but now of a surety even this day this moment is my kingdom not from here this world of Rome of yours the one here in Israel powerful statements can you live like that in here what world is he from? What kingdom was he talking about to Pilate? Was he a king? Yes. He said he was born for this reason. To testify. Bear witness that he was a king. But not of this world. Not like all the other kings of the other nations. He wasn't like that. Daniel 2.44 And in the days of these, the Romes and the earthly kings and kingdoms, the kings on earth shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. Was this it? Is this the kingdom? Did Pilate know about this scripture? Was this the one Jesus was talking about? Is this the kingdom you serve? The one that can never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. But it shall break in pieces. And consume all the kingdoms. It shall stand forever. Do you think Pilate knew about this? Probably not. Do you think Allah, he's read this. He knows this kingdom will stand forever. It's not of this world. He doesn't do battle the way we do battle. Doesn't have to use nuclear bombs and swords and stuff. Doesn't have to do that. Did Pilate know of this kingdom? Probably not. He only knew of Rome. But Rome was connected to divine gods. 
And they did believe the gods did battle. You look at the Greek civilization. They do battle for us. Did the Jewish leaders know of this scripture? Of this kingdom? Yes. And that is what made them mad. Jealous and angry. For this kingdom was coming. And this king to replace them in their religion. Religion is not of this world that Christ Jesus was talking of. Religion was of the earth. The carnal world down here. It was not of the kingdom of heaven. Verse 37. Pilate answered therefore. And said unto Jesus. Are you a king then? The earthly kingdoms. Kings will ask you this question also. And Jesus answered. You say that I am a king. A leader. To this end. For this declaration by you, a representative of the earthly, carnal, satanic kingdom of ignorance, declare and decree yourself about me? To this end was I born, brought into this world. Can you say this about your own birth? That you are a king of another world. And your birth. Is a testimony to that. Why do you think there's abortion? To keep the kings from coming. And being born into this world. Yes that's right. All those little babies are kings to be. And somebody doesn't want them here. Who do you think that might be? Yep, the king, the god of this world, Satan. So he works through people, politicians, laws, to kill the little babies. He doesn't want any more kings coming. If he can't control them, he doesn't know, doesn't want them here. He's threatened. You go study him. He used politicians when Jesus was born. He heard the prophecy. The religious people hear the prophecy that a king was born in Bethlehem. Herod sends out the soldiers. They kill the, all the children, 12 and under. As he said, there is no room on this earth for two kings. You go watch it. It's in the Jesus of Nazareth movie. Now God gave gave them some guidance. Told them to leave and they went into Egypt. But the kings of this earthly dark world. And the king that's behind them, Satan. Will murder children. Even in the wombs to protect Satan. That's how bad it is spiritually when you enter into kingship and leadership. Satan knows you were born to be a king, a leader. And he will do everything he can through every system and every ways and means to stop you. That was just a little tidbit for your information. And for this cause, Jesus said, this purpose came I into the world so that I should bear witness 
decree this truth, provide proof, testify to, fulfill the law of God unto this truth. Every one that is of the truth hears my voice, the voice, the spiritual one of this king, of a kingdom, of another world, not from here, this earthly world. Every baby in the womb is a king, a leader spiritually. And the rulers of this world that work for an unrighteous, perverted, and crooked leader, a divine God called Satan, do not want any more children here. They'll use climate change that we don't need to have any more children. They'll go against the word of God that says multiply and spread out all over the world. Jealousy and hatred fuels the abortion of little babies who are born to testify they are kings but from another world. Verse 38, Pilate says unto him, What is truth? People are going to ask you, What is truth? Wasn't Pilate smart? Is being smart, is that truth? Is having knowledge and facts the same as having truth? And when he had said this, he went out again, Pilate, unto the Jews and said unto them, I find in him no fault, no sin or treason at all. Pilate was not concerned about this weird man. His kingdom did not seem to threaten Caesar or Rome. It was unknown. It was not earthly. It was not an earthly kingdom. It did not present itself in the world as all the other kings and kingdoms he knew, trying to overthrow Rome and Caesar. No, instead he had heard stories, even from his own wife, that he was a quiet man. He healed people. He just taught. He told them to support the lawyer, uh, Rome, to love the soldiers, even healed soldiers and their families. He wasn't your typical king. Pilate knew about trying to overthrow oh there were people in Judea the zealots which Judas Iscariot was who wanted King David to return in an earthly form and fight with spears and kick out Rome but this young man Jesus didn't seem to be that kind of king Pilate couldn't quite put a finger on it. Even his wife had had a dream to let him go. So he was judged to be innocent, sinless, and not a threat. But to the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, he was a threat. He presented a different philosophy and concept of belief about this God. He claimed he was with God and God's son. And then that would have taken away the leadership of the Jewish leaders, the rabbis, 
they would lose their positions. Verse 39. But you have a custom that I should release or set free unto you. One at the Passover. Will you therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? Now, how do these words relate to you, a leader in the making? Can others see in you the truth that you were born to be a king? That you were brought into the womb and birth to testify that you are a king? If the world leaders judge you as they judge, what will they find? Would you be a threat to others, even to people who you consider your people? Would an imam or a monk be threatened by you? Maybe you didn't go to school, but you just teach. And you're kind and loving. And when you pray for people, they seem to get healed. But you didn't go through their system, so you become a threat. They can't control you. Can you speak as Christ Jesus did? Ask yourself, which world are you a leader of? Can you answer why you were born? These are beginning questions in seeking truth. So I hope that this class 12, the last in the series, helps you to answer this question. Are you a king then? And I want to leave you with these new concepts and ideas of leadership development. Leadership development is one has many levels, both from the inside of you, through your spirit, your soul, and your body, and out to your neighbors, to your family, your friends, your city, and your nations. Others are going to judge you. They're going to look at you. They're going to watch your actions, your words. And we're going to decide if you are a satanic leader, an earthly leader, or one from another kingdom, not of this world. <clears throat> we're going to look and see, are you connected to a divine God? Is he leading you and judging you, guiding you? Fighting your battles for you. Do you trust in him? We're going to be looking. Are you a righteous leader? Or a king of the earthly world? Ruled by the flesh. Your lust and desires. By Satan. By greed. What rules you? Are you a mad and angry king? Want to be a ruler to get back at people do you play the victim oh poor woe is me do you try to manipulate and control people do you want to feel the power of fear over people or things will you pay 
hard prices and sacrifice your family and your children. You know, you can murder your wife and your children in many ways to get power. You can sell out your grandchildren, your nation, for power. We're going to be looking and judging just as Pilate did. Lots to think about and to take in and digest. But that must be in your deep thoughts and in your inner life. For leadership is a leadership first on the inside. Your spirit, your soul, and your physical body. And you must learn to judge yourself in righteousness and what you're doing. And you must learn that you're going to be judged. People are going to look. History will judge you. Nations will judge you. Being a leader and a king is a very lonely place. You won't have many friends. Can't trust anybody. Not even your wife or your kids. Because they'll turn on you if they can. Fear will turn them. Gifts and bribes will turn them. If you're a threat. So, this is just the beginning. We're going to look to say, at least I am. Which God are you serving? Who do you talk to? Who are you praying to? Whose words are you following? Because remember, there's a God of this world. And there's a God in heaven. The God of this world, world, his name is Satan. Which means the adversary of God. He has his kingdom down here called darkness. Which means ignorance. He rules people. By ignorance. Lack of truth and light. And he heard the prophecy. About all humanity. And he knows this truth. Do you. Genesis 1.26. And God said. Let us make man. A spiritual being. In a dirt humus body. In our image. And after our likeness. And let them have dominion. Kingship, territory, leadership over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. Those words were decreed at the beginning of humanity before there was the first human. Satan heard it. He knows you are a king. You were born to testify to this, just as Christ Jesus was. Every baby is a king that is to come into this world. And their life is to testify and bear witness of this kingship that they've been given. This authority and dominion from Genesis one twenty six, But it's not of this earthly world. So I leave you with these 12 videos of Masterclass Initiative of Nigeria Leadership Development and their purposes to help you 
to rediscover yourself, to learn about others, and that all humans were decreed and born to be leaders, kings of themselves first, with their families, their cities, and then their nations. So go and learn and develop. Discover and rediscover. Find and seek the truth about the real you. The leader, the king, not of this world. I enjoyed teaching you and being with you for these 12 weeks. I thank you for this opportunity to have taught you, continue to learn and grow, and I know Masterclass Initiative of Nigeria will continue, and there will be many more classes for you. Keep growing and learning. Keep following Pastor Deborah. She has her YouTube channel called The Hidden Kingdoms. If you subscribe, you'll get the new videos. Lots of them there. Keep growing and learning. You can also look over the website at www.agapeloveishere.org and you'll see many stories. Haven't got them all up yet. There's a King's International Spiritual Care University about the path that Pastor Deborah took. All the different things she had to learn how to do what she's doing. Some excellent teaching in there. So be blessed. And let me leave you with this. That your, who you serve, the actions you do, will be judged. You are a king. You must develop and grow. First, start with yourself. Then become educated. Learn it. Learn skills and abilities. And take baby steps. And then we will wait to see you on the stage. And learn and grow. Become the leader, the king you were always meant to be. From the very beginning. Love always and forever, Pastor Deborah. This ends the 12-week series of leadership development of the Masterclass Initiative of Nigeria. Bye, everybody. Hope to see you again. Love always and forever. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening and watching this video. It is an honor and a pleasure to have you stopped by today and watch. This is Pastor Deborah, and I hope you come again and watch many, many more videos and learn and grow spiritually. And hear how she has helped people spiritually, the Lord's way, for many, many years. Come again. Watch another one. And we welcome you to be a subscriber to the channel, to make comments. And if you wish to contact Pastor Deborah, please email her at her email address for the ministry at Pastor Deborah at agapeloveishere.org. You can also see these videos on Twitter and on the website in the many different sections that they are put into. Enjoy, and it was once again an honor to have you watch and listen. Thank you and come again. 
to another video of Agape Love, Love is Here Ministries, a ministry of helping people the Lord's way that Pastor Deborah has been doing for many, many years. Love always and forever, Pastor Deborah.